This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. I want to take a couple of minutes and give you a quick COVID update. Uh, we've done a survey for the last couple of weeks and asked you to be praying for wisdom for our leadership as we think about decisions to make in light of some changes with regulations and requirements. And so I want to just update you real quick, and then I'm going to ask Mark Nato, who's headed up our COVID task force, just to come and pray for us, and then we'll hear God's word, and we'll jump into a sermon. So I'm not going to go through like every stat from that survey. Um, some of you guys would love that. If you want to see any of that, I'd be happy to share it with you. But um, some things that jumped out to me were um, a lot of our adults took it. So there were close to 80 adults who took that survey, which is more than half of those in attendance, which I don't know what the stat or the mean is on that, but that felt to me like it mattered to our body. So thank you for those of you who gave us your feedback. Your comments were really helpful, um, as well as you just taking the time to, to fill that out. Some things that jumped out from the results were that about 75% of our folks uh, are ready to go to a mask optional setting where uh, they feel like we're at a spot where the vaccines are there and things have shifted and they feel more comfortable in that direction. Those who don't feel comfortable going mask optional yet, what was fascinating to me is that all those folks have been vaccinated, which I was encouraged by, and it was a widespread of ages. So it wasn't just of our uh, more mature members. Uh, it was people all across age brackets, which I guess shouldn't surprise me, but it was interesting just to see that statistic there in the, in the, in the data. I love seeing um, kind of the idea of the comments of like, hey, man, we're with you, we're praying. Like it was a really encouraging for me to, to read the survey. And so as we wrestled with what to do in light of this, are the majority of our congregation ready to move towards uh, a mask optional setting, which is different than mask prohibited, right? Mask optional doesn't mean you can't wear a mask. It means we no longer require that. So I want us to, to step that way. But I realized to make everything optional takes away the option of those who don't feel like they're ready to go mask optional, right? If you feel like you still want to wear a mask and think everyone else should be, um, to make it optional takes that option away from you, from even maybe coming to the church. So here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some baby steps. I want to take some steps. I want to respond to like the data and the survey and what's happening in our community, uh, but still kind of go slow, even as we see relaxing regulations and just take a cautious approach. My wife has told me, I don't have to go very long here. Everyone knows my heart. I've communicated that a ton, but um, you can feel even else more like, hey, we love you. I'm for you. And hey, we're going to take, take a baby step. So here's what we're going to do. Beginning next Sunday, we're going to make our overflow room a mask optional space. So if you're in a spot where you're ready to worship without a mask on, either for once a sermon starts or whatever you'd like to do, you can be in there with a mask the entire time. Um, so we're going to make our overflow room uh, for the month of May a mask optional space. And we're going to keep our sanctuary in this room a, a mask uh, required space. And that also means that the hallways and common spaces will be mask required for the next few weeks. And what we're trying to do there is just respond to what we saw in the survey, give some people who feel like, man, this is actually becoming a barrier to their ability to engage, um, to go ahead and have a space where we can welcome people. And we want to take a step towards maybe moving our entire church to mask optional, but want to go really slow there. So hopefully the numbers stay low through the month of May, and we could consider in the month of June maybe reversing that where this space became mask optional and the overflow room was mask required so there'll be a space where if you want to keep a mask on and you feel like everyone around you uh, you feel most comfortable and safe with people having a mask on that will be down the road probably in the overflow room that, that's june though so in may 
It won't feel a whole lot different in this room, um, but if you're ready to be in a mask optional space, you can worship kind of with our rest of our body down in the overflow room uh, beginning next week. All right? Kind of make sense? And then we'll just watch. We'll see what the numbers say. We'll see what happens. And so hopefully the numbers do stay low and vaccines are working and uh, things are moving in the right direction. So we want to get back to a place where we're some semblance of normal, right? Remember, that, that is our goal. Our goal is to move back towards some sort of semblance of normal, but we want to take this kind of posture of being slow and cautious. So th- that's where we're at. I'll put that in the newsletter this week. If you have questions, please reach out today or over, over the week. I would love to engage that. But we'll begin that next week. We'll have plenty of signs. And to help us as well, just kind of engage with each other, uh, we'll do some donuts and coffee out in the parking lot like we did on Easter. We'll have just a space so we can gather between Sunday school and the service. And so we can kind of see each other. And then we'll come into the building and we'll worship together next week. All right. I won't take questions now in this moment, but if you have questions, I'd love to take them. Hey, Mark, would you come up? And pray for us. Is Mark in the room? Oh, he's right here. Way to go, dude. Um, Hey, this is Mark Nato. He and about uh, five other folks have led our our COVID task force. Uh, They've helped our staff and me kind of stay on top of trends and movements. They've been a great sounding board. From the very beginning, they were never a decision-making board. I don't want to put the responsibility on that of them, but uh, they've really served me in this process. So best, Mark, just to pray for us as we go forward, and then we'll hear from God's word. All right? This is your friend of mine, Mark Nato. All right. Morning, guys. All right, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you for this body, for our leadership and our staff here, Lord. I, I, I just thank you for being here with us during this process of wrestling with masks, um, COVID. Um, you know it more than we do, or just as much as we do in regards to how difficult and frustrating and confusing this season's been for all of us, Lord. Um, But I'm thankful that you've been with us this entire time. It's not been a time where we've been alone or that you've left us or that you've left us to be confused and frustrated, but that you've actually, you've intentionally laid this in our path so that we would see and meet you in a way that we we never could or never would, Lord, that you actually have purpose for this issue, for this season, for this pandemic, for us all, Lord. Um, I pray that you would just continue to, to lead us, to give us wisdom, to give us convictions in knowing how to love our body, love our brothers and our sisters, I pray that you would work in every one of our hearts in regards to the wrestling of this, Lord, that you would meet us there, Lord. We would continue to seek your face, your guidance, your comfort, your love during this time, Lord, and and that the point would not be to just, you know, get to no mask or get to mask, Lord, but that we would just pursue you during this journey and this process, Lord, and that we would see you more, we would, we would engage with you more, and we would have to rely on you more, Lord. Give us a peace and a joy and a conviction to, to love our brothers and sisters, to not judge, to not um, cast judgment on, on someone because of a decision that they're making, Lord, but that we would be able to see that they're more than just a decision, Lord, that they're they're a brother and a sister and that they're a son and a daughter of yours, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this body and we thank you that that you're here with us, Lord, every Sunday, every day of the week and and that you want to meet us, Lord. 
We love you, Jesus. Amen. Our scripture this morning is Matthew 21 through 26. My name is Linda Keller, and I'm so thankful that you're all here today. If you want to follow in the Pew Bible, you can find our scripture on page 810. Again, it's Matthew 5, 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. All right. Hey, uh, excited to be with you as we jump into this text. I know what you're thinking. Murder, anger, outrage, insults, classic Mother's Day text. I get it. You can tell how relevant we are here at Lewa Baptist Church. Um, I bet you there's some application you can find to your uh, relationships as well. But um, obviously we're walking through the Sermon on the Mount. Didn't map this to be on Mother's Day, but I'm thankful for this, for this opportunity. And actually I want to give you a Mother's Day gift of a 30-minute sermon. Um, I'm going to hold to that. So if we just have to stop dead somewhere and go, let's take a meeting right now. Um, I'm going to stop at 30 minutes. And maybe it's a gift like the Jelly of the Month Club that like keeps on giving, and maybe we can kind of move towards this. But women, love you, bless you, uh, 30-minute sermon beginning now. All right. Hey, uh, I love actually a text like this, and it does a couple things for us. It gives us permission to talk about the importance of relationships. As a pastor, I'm continually reminded that both the, the best things in your life and the hardest things in your life are centered around relationships. Just stop and think about like what was the most amazing thing you've experienced and there were people around you. What was the most painful thing you've experienced and, and there were people there or it was the absence of people that made that so painful. What's beautiful is that God knows that and he addresses those spaces throughout his word because the truth is not only are we wounded in relationships, we're actually healed in relationships. And God as a relational God has designed us to be in relationships where we experience love and care and forgiveness and grace, all as small little tastes of the way that God loves us and gives us grace and forgives us and meets us. Even, even this uh, relationship of marriage, right, is clearly set in Scripture to be a pointer past marriage to God Himself. So God chose the most intimate relationship we have as an illustration for us to think about what it means to be His people. Like, that is really profound. And there are thousands of commands throughout the Scripture. You think through the Proverbs. You think about all the relational stories in the Bible. God is a relational God, and the Bible is a relational book. And I was thinking in my mind, I bet you if you just like 
put pictures or, or pages of the Bible up on the wall and threw a dart, you would hit a passage about relationships. Even in this one sermon that Jesus gives, there are so many references to relationships. Right? He starts in the Beatitudes of blessed are the peacemakers and talks about what it means to feel persecuted and how to actually trust Jesus in that, which is a relational idea. He's talked about what it means to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees, that you need more than just kind of what the Pharisees or the law could actually pull off. You need a new transformed heart. And now he gives us six illustrations of what that looks like and all of them are relational so this issue with anger and and with lust and with divorce and with oath and retaliation and even loving our enemies all the illustrations he's going to give of what it looks like for the kingdom of God to advance in your heart are all in the context of relationships even in the rest of the sermon you'll go into issues with judging you get this beautiful wisdom in the scriptures of things like hey you should start with the log in your own eye before you go after the speck in your brother's eye. But then immediately it goes on to this idea of, hey, there's people, though, that are really dangerous. Don't continue to put your heart out in front of them. Don't throw your pearls before swine or give yourselves over to dogs. They'll actually harm you. And so it's not just this enmeshed view of self-sacrifice for the sake of relationship. The Bible is full of relational wisdom. Wisdom to engage with the hard places and the beautiful places and the places of longing is descriptions of how to be single in relationships and how to be married in relationships and how to be parents and friends and how to engage with people that disagree with you. The Bible is a relational book given by a relational God to help us understand our relationships. And it's not like a decoder ring where there's like all these verses and you got to find the one verse that fits your specific situation. It's actually more like a tapestry. Or, or a framework. They, they all kind of fit together, right? So we're not just applying a verse to a situation. We're thinking through even who God is himself as this reconciling relational God and letting the cross of Jesus, this place where he gave us forgiveness and made relationship possible, make that the foundation for every interaction we have. And then think through what is, what is wise and what is sacrificial and what is putting others ahead of ourselves and, and where are there good boundaries and what's too far and how do you speak a correcting word. And the scriptures actually give us a robust tapestry or framework. And so I say that because to talk about relationships actually incites some feelings in you, some memories in you. And I know in the room right now, I've been praying all week for you, if you were in the middle of a really active, painful situation, Maybe it's happened last night, or maybe it was through this season of COVID, or maybe it's been decades in the making, but when I talk relationships, your mind goes to a face, a tone of voice. It goes to the smell of a coffee shop. It it goes to the sound of leaves on a long walk where you had that conversation. It goes to those spots in a living room or in a counseling session where you've experienced kind of the pain and stress and hurt of these relationships. So I know to talk relationships is to kind of trigger that in you and can I just speak to you that God cares about that situation all of this talk of God being a relational God is to say hey he is mindful and he cares about what you're feeling and so if you're in the middle of like a really intense moment I doubt today like unravels all of your tension but it should push you closer to Jesus in a way that you begin to see where he fits into the pain that you're experiencing and this is a good plug for the church right to be in community to walk out in relationships together, right? Because you need help to think through, hey, what is a place where I should be sacrificing for this person? Where should I forgive? Where, where is this actually unjust and needs to be dealt with? Where are we talking about abuse? Where are we talking about places of real pain? What's a pattern that must stop or somebody else is going to get hurt? Like those are the things that we shouldn't have to carry by ourselves. 
God's given us a family to engage and to walk with each other. And so we want to be the kind of church where those conversations are on the table because they're right here in Scripture. Right? We're about to go after adultery and divorce and reconciliation and retaliation. And what do you do with those who've hurt you? Like The passages of Scripture are going to take us there. And so we want to be the kind of church that has a, a framework and a context and a basic understanding of God's love and His Word that we can actually help each other. And let me just give one more commercial. Like, if you're wondering, man, what do I do? I would highly recommend this book, Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Gosh, it must be 15 or 20 years old now. It's kind of a classic work on just conflict resolution and what it looks like to actually engage with people. And it's, it's thick, right? So it may not give the exact situation you're dealing with, but it's going to give you enough. So it's Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E. It's called The Peacemaker. And if you were to Google that, you'd find their website and tons of resources. I, I want us to be kind of a peacemaking gospel-believing church, and the gospel has at the root of it a reconciling God that should shape and transform how we relate to each other. So, so that's kind of the opening time. And I say all that because what Jesus is doing in this section, remember, is not just giving us new laws to follow. Remember we talked through, when he talks through, that he came to fulfill the law, not to dismiss it. He came to actually embody it. He came to actually fulfill its promises. And then he said, you have to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees if you're ever going to come into the kingdom of God. That's Matthew 5.20. And we just said that can't mean you've got to be 5% better than the Pharisees. Because that's a new kind of law. right? So Jesus is not giving a ratcheted up version of the law that if you met that standard, then God would be pleased with you. That's not what he's doing. What he came to fulfill from the Old Testament was the promise that there is a righteousness that God was going to give us. So we see in Isaiah 53 that there's a righteousness that comes from the sacrificing Messiah to give us an account to us his own righteousness. That's what he came to fulfill. And we see in Jeremiah and Ezekiel the promises of, of a new heart that God is going to give us. So Jesus came to fulfill that. So the righteousness that exceeds that of the Pharisees is not one that does better than them. It's one that's wholly different than theirs. It comes from a heart that's transformed from the inside out, which gives you a ton of hope when it comes to what is God asking of you. What he's asking of you is to receive Jesus and let that transform your entire life. And so what he does now in this next couple sections, he gives six snapshots or illustrations explaining what that looks like, what it looks like to have a heart that's been transformed. And so he says, hey, you've heard it said don't murder. Let me tell you, it's actually bigger than that. It even goes down to anger. And it's more than that. It goes to how you see people. So we did this section last week, kind of part one of this passage, when we call somebody a fool or we call them empty-headed or we, we say of them they're, they're no, of no value. In that space, what we've done is like murder. We've put ourselves in the place of God and we've deemed in our little kingdom we're the righteous ruler and judge who should be worshipped and this person is in the way. And he says, oh, but in the kingdom of God, it's totally different the kingdom of god actually has a category not just for murder and anger and insults but for reconciliation and for forgiveness he's going to do it with adultery and lust it's not it's not just given over to consuming people but you could actually have have an understanding of somebody as an eternal being you could go to extremes to keep yourself pure when it comes to to divorce when it comes to us keeping our word when it comes to retaliation when it comes to us loving people that have hurt us he's giving a a view of the kingdom that is shaped by the gospel that allows us to live and respond differently in relationships so so this is not a new law you got to keep this is hope spoken over you 
All of those places where your mind is already racing to think through these contexts and these relationships, these situations, hear the good news that Jesus came to reconcile us to himself and that work makes it possible for us to be reconciled to each other. We can live out transformed relationships from a renewed heart. That is the point of this passage. I'm going to beat that drum over and over and over again because our hearts so long to justify ourselves We'll make a law and a rule and an idol and worship almost anything that we think would make us satisfied, that would give us value, that would make us better than someone else, that would atone for our past. We are indiscriminate in how we grab a hold of something other than God as a space of righteousness. And so just to slow down every single time and go, hey, what Jesus is talking about is not a new way to make yourself righteous. It's righteousness that he gives you, and now he's giving you this glorious big sky vision of what it means to live in the kingdom of God in contrast to the suffocating kingdom of self that pulls the walls in just around you where you are the center of everything. Friends, that kingdom you experience on a daily basis crushing you and crushing those around you. And what Jesus does then is just kind of makes it possible. He gives you an idea. He's kind of pointing towards what he came to do to make it possible for us to be reconciled and so in this section as he's moved from murder to anger to insults he now goes oh instead of that which is all you can do in the kingdom of self right you can just keep score you can just rank you can just compare you can just get even you can just can can see people as opposition instead of that look in verse 23 of matthew 5 he gives a different kind of view he says so if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put into prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penalty. So Jesus puts us at the altar and in a courtroom for these two illustrations. He's going to say, this is what it looks like in the kingdom of God to be in relationships, and he calls our attention to worship and to judgment. For us to think about how we see people and how we see God. That's where he's going in this illustration. And what he's dealing with here is primarily when you've hurt somebody else. Did you catch that? Hey, when you've wronged somebody, that's the context, which is amazing that he starts there. We always want to start with how we've been wronged, where we've been hurt, right? Which the Bible deals with that. He'll actually get to Matthew 18, verse 15. Hey, when you've been wronged, here's how you respond. But in this section, he starts with your own heart. You have the ability to be honest about your own brokenness. Think of all the things that have to be true for you to actually engage this text. You have to believe that there could be real forgiveness, You have to believe that the transforming grace of God could actually change your heart. You have to believe that God could actually pay the penalty for your sins so that you could move towards someone and ask them not to make you pay for that, but to forgive you. You have to move towards them to think that grace is real, that mercy is real. You have to believe so many things are true about the kingdom of God to be able to engage this text. And the great news is they are true. And Jesus embodies them and he accomplishes it for us so that we could actually move towards self, right? So in in opposing the kingdom of self-entitlement of self that's only given over to anger, he moves us towards the kingdom of God and reconciliation. Here's what I want to do. I just want to make some observations from this text, and then I want to give you kind of a framework. How would you know in your heart if things have moved 
to this space of worship or they've moved to a place of idolatry or they've gone too far in your heart? How, how would you know why this conflict is happening, right? Because we have trouble. We have a hard time seeing it. We normally just assume somebody else is in fault and maybe I contribute, but they get the bulk of the weight. And what he does here is he puts the weight on us first so we can have a posture of needing forgiveness and then moving towards a person. So some observations, and let me give you kind of a framework. It actually comes out of this book from Ken Sandy, which I've found over the last 15 years so, so helpful for my life. So, so here's the first one. The first thing is that forgiveness is actually possible. That's the first thing I want you to see. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go and be reconciled. The first thing is just the hopeful message that reconciliation is possible. Because God is a reconciling God, He's made it possible for us to actually engage with people. And so we can be honest about where we've hurt people. We can start at the spot where we say, man, I actually need to go to that person. I don't have to be shocked by that. I should actually expect there are places where in my own brokenness and my need to be more transformed and my, my process as a human, as I'm still wrestling with the kingdom of self, I need to actually move towards people. Right? So I'm not shocked when somebody says, hey, Chris, you hurt me. There, there's reconciliation on the other side of that statement, right? So that's the first thing is that reconciliation is possible. Second, conflict is connected to worship. Do you notice that? He, he says when you're at the altar there, you're offering your gift. And in that space, as you're worshiping, you remember the conflict. What I want you to do is not just continue to worship because it would be somewhat empty. That conflict in your mind is connected to your worship. I want you now to actually go to that person. Right? The kingdom of self is about self-worship. The hostility that we feel, this anger and murder and rage that he describes earlier, that happens because we see ourselves as God. And we dehumanize others and we place ourselves in that space of God, the space of deity. So he says, hey, I want you to actually understand that when you're in conflict, it's a context where worship is happening. Because right? we said last week that anger is actually an expression of love. Righteous anger is protecting what it loves and unrighteous anger is also protecting what it loves just not in a righteous way protecting myself my value my worth my entitlement my needs my opportunities my approval my position my power my comfort that's what it's protecting unrighteously and all of that leads us to a space of of worship so he's saying this conflict is not just a relational pattern it's actually tied to your worship Right in that space, this anger moves towards even taking matters into our own hands or it takes someone's life, which is an act of God. So, so it's this space of idolatry that's happening when we're in a spot of conflict. So conflict is connected to worship. Number three, he reminds us that we're holistic beings. Right? He says, hey, when you're worshiping, don't just like continue that act. Remember that you're a whole person. You can't worship God who you can not see and hate your brother that you can see the scriptures say this is not that there's a church version of you and then a monday morning version of you or at home version of you or a friday night version of you or out with the boys version of you or an online version of you you are made to be holistic beings and we can't say that we worship god and come and go through the motions of giving god praise and saying he's the king of the universe when we continue to live as if we're the king of the universe right so it's a call to a holistic understanding of who you are. It's a call to integrity. It's a call actually to freedom, to have your entire life under the lordship of Jesus. Right? The Bible will always connect the first and greatest 
commandment with the second commandment, to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others. We can't divide those. And the Bible just has command after command after command of you can't say you love God and hate your brother. And yet we try to live that way. So, so this is a call to, to wholeness. It's a call to not be fragmented as a person. It's a call to not bifurcate your life into different compartments where you can think that in this space you honor Jesus, but this is what you're actually entitled to and what you deserve. Jesus is saying, hey, the new thing I came to do isn't actually new at all. God's always been concerned about our hearts. The Old Testament's full of instruction about, hey, when you're at the altar or you're fasting or you're going through all these religious rituals and you've got this hatred in your heart, just stop. It's a sham. I I don't delight in that sacrifice. What I want is contrition and humility and a heart that's soft. That's in the Old Testament. God's always been aimed at this. He's after making whole people fully healed. So it's a call against fragmenting ourselves. There shouldn't be a church version of you and an at-home or at-work version of you. Maybe just stop and think, like, are there places where people are surprised you're one or the other? People at church surprised some of the things that you do, or people at work surprised that you go to church. Would that, would that be an invitation, not to, like, Pharisaism and cleaning up your life, but to wholeness? To, hey, maybe it's a place where what comes out of my lips in other contexts wouldn't actually honor God. Because what we're seeing more and more with cell phone cameras and audio is people are getting caught with what's in their heart always coming out in moments of stress. And it's actually a beautiful rebuke to people to go, whoa, that's in my heart. These careless words I actually have been cherishing for a long, long time. I don't want to be um, fragmented. right? So, so there's a continuity that he's, he's calling us to. Fourth, I want you to see that, that reconciliation is always costly. All right, so go into this moment, Bryce. He says, when you're there at the offering, and you've got your, your offering there on the altar, and you remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there and go and be reconciled. Now, this is not as you're on your way to the give box in the back to drop your check in there, and you remember something that you send a text to somebody. That's not what this is. This is, you've been on a three-day journey with your best animal. You finally got all the way to the temple. You've been waiting. You're hungry. You're sweaty. You're tired. You get that thing up on the altar. You finally get it strapped down. You're ready to do the sacrifice. This is now like months and weeks and days in the making. In that moment, stop. Leave your sacrifice there. (laughs) Climb back down the hill. Go all the way back down to your hometown. Take that three-day journey back to your friend and go and be reconciled. It's a costly thing. Same with this idea of going on the road to the courtroom right he says in verse 25 he says come come quickly to your accuser when you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison truly i say to you you will never get out until you've paid the last penalty there's a kind of cost there as well right in the first century kind of a shame honor culture to stop and admit you're wrong so to be in a courtroom to be in litigation and just tap out rather than prove yourself Right? There's a cost to your reputation in that moment. Right? So to put you again, this is not just you shooting a text. This is the whole community knows about this feud that you've had. And for you to tap out and say, hey, it's on me, would cost your reputation. He does this one cost of a sacrifice, this one cost of your reputation. Reconciliation is costly. 
And, and of course it is, right? We look at the cross of Jesus. It cost God His own life to come and make us reconcile to Him. So if that's the starting place, of course it's costly. But, but actually what we should come to terms with and understand is it's going to cost no matter what. There's a redemptive cost where you pay the price on the front end and you leave your sacrifice or you let your reputation be soiled versus on the back end where this thing goes all the way to the court and to the judge and to the guard and all the way to prison, which that is also costly, right? In verse 26, truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. So reconciliation and refusing to reconcile, both of those are costly. What's offered to us in the kingdom of God is to pay a redemptive cost. Because of what Christ has done, that our reputation can be set aside, our our sacrifice can be set aside so we can actually move towards people. There's always a cost in reconciliation. There is no easy reconciling text, email, phone call to send. Your blood pressure will always go up. Your your voice will always crack. Your your heart rate will always increase. It it costs you. And that's okay. Because it, it matters is the reason why it costs. And so Jesus is just giving us this framework, hey, let it cost you not to pay the penalty for your sin to make yourself right with God to earn your salvation. Not that kind of cost. Let it cost the kingdom of self for you to lay down your rights that you've perceived or lay down the things that you acquired to actually move towards reconciling. Right? There's always a cost you're going to pay on the front end or the back end. Right, number five, there's this sense of urgency Jesus gives us in these illustrations, right? They're illustrations, right? One's in the altar and one's in the courtroom. And he says both in both those illustrations, hey, go, go quickly. He says in verse 24, leave your gift there and go. And then he says in verse 25, come to terms quickly with your accuser. There's a sense of urgency, right? That things metastasize and they don't get better on their own. We should move quickly towards peacemaking. Caveat for sure, sometimes it takes wisdom. You need other people around. You have to think about how to do that with a dangerous person. But our impulse should be not to cherish an offense or, or wait and see if the person actually is offended from what we've done. When we know we've offended somebody, to move towards them quickly. Because our God is a going God. Our God is a, a missional, peacekeeping God who goes. And so for us to have this posture of urgency, of like I don't want to let this sit. It's not going to make this thing any better it's actually going to continue to cost so can i move towards this person quickly that's the sense of urgencies because number six there's a progression in our conflict right it doesn't sit still sin never stays still sin never sits in one spot it always grows and moves so the sin of refusing to be reconciled refusing to ask forgiveness refusing to go to a person to be reconciled would actually continue to grow and we see that progression here in this space it goes from you on the road with your accuser and if you don't reconcile it there it moves to being handed over to the judge and then from the judge to the guard and from the guard to prison all the way to paying the very last penalty right there's this progression if we don't move quickly we don't pay the price we don't move towards we don't believe that reconciliation is possible all the things we've already said if we don't do that there's this progression because it simply doesn't stay put it moves and grows. These are illustrations of life in the kingdom. Uh, Jesus, I think, wants to put those things in front of us to call us into an expression of the relationship that we have with God being lived out in our human relationships. Now, now here's the challenge. We read this passage, and your mind is racing with other people who need to hear this. 
You rarely go, oh, dude, that's totally me. Uh, I thought about this. So it's, it's in a courtroom. I hope that's the only reason why I thought about this. But I thought about Judge Judy. The other day it came on TV. I promise I'm not like a closet Judge Judy person. Although if you are, you're welcome here. It's okay. You can be a Judge Judy. Actually, I thought that's like a 30-year-old prototype of like a reality TV show. Like we grew up as kids in the 80s watching somebody's life come unraveled the same way our kids are doing now on TikTok. It's fascinating, right? So you have this prototype there of Judge Judy. Kids, if you're going like, what is that? You can Google her. What's amazing is it's this TV show. I'm sure it's not scripted at all. I'm sure there's no acting at all. I'm sure it's just raw reality that happens in the courtroom. But you have two people and they have this lawsuit. And what's amazing is both of them think they're right. And normally somebody owes somebody, it's like three grand for back rent or they wrecked their car because they were on pot or something crazy happens. And so they're trying to get retribution for those things. And just Judy, who's like an amazing kind of baller of a judge and just shoots everybody straight and makes fun of people in the moment. And they're like weeping and she's like calling them out. It's kind of Again, it's a fascinating reality TV show. So like, I think we were cool before it was cool. Those of you guys who watch Judge Judy. But, but in that moment, what you see there is the person is blind to their offense. They actually think they're going to win this thing until she begins just to mock them to their face. Oh, you thought you could borrow their car? Was it your car? No, ma'am, it's not my car. Oh, was it? Do you pay for the car? No, ma'am, no pay for the car. Oh, you pay insurance on the car? No, ma'am. And you wrecked the car? Yes, ma'am, it's the car. Your fault. All your fault. Yes, ma'am, it's not. And you want them to pay for it for some reason? Yes, ma'am, I think that. And then you can watch them like start to, oh, shoot. They've done this whole thing where they've gone all the way into the courtroom blind to the idea that they're actually at fault. Okay, I had that in my mind wondering like this progression that we feel. I think sometimes it's not till we're in that last little moment that we see the progression and go, oh my gosh, I'm caught. Because here's the deal. The progression goes from desires to things that we demand the things that we judge someone getting in the way of, and then we begin to punish. Flip with me back over to James chapter 4. James 4, it's on page 1012, says this, What is it that causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Isn't it this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you murder. There's a progression. You, you want something, but you don't get it, so you move towards taking what you demand, And you covet and can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask, and when you ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The Bible describes a progression in our loves that leads to the space of destruction in our relationships. Real real quickly, in Ken Sandy's book, he talks about the progression of an idol. If this is about worship, what, what do we actually worship? He says the desires move to things that we demand. It doesn't have to be a bad desire. It can be a good desire, a desire for a healthy family, a desire for a child, a desire for a fruitful job, a desire for admiration from somebody who you love. And when we don't get that, and we begin to move in the kingdom of self to demanding that, we begin to want to take it. We stomp our foot. So kids, in your packet, you have these little blanks. It goes desire to demand. A normal desire goes to a demand. It progresses to that space. And once it's got to that spot, now I feel entitled, right? The way anger has me entitled, I feel entitled to it, and I begin to judge the person who's getting in the way of me getting that. So it goes desire, demand, judge, and then every idol demands a sacrifice. We move towards punishing the anger and the murder and the insults and the, the, the cold shoulders and the irritation and letting that person know they've offended you, though you never use words. That kind of punishment all comes because I had a desire that progressed to a demand that I begin to judge the person who is not giving me what I'm deserved 
so then I begin to punish them. Here's the great news. You can work that thing backwards for the spot that you are in stress right now and go, hey, who am I punishing? What did I judge them for? What was it that I was demanding? And what desire is that rooted in? Because I bet you you find in that space of desire, even though it feels so far away from the punishment that you're in now, that space of desire might actually be a good thing or might be a reasonable thing or might be something you could actually talk about. You've let it progress to the spot where you're burning down your relationships, but, but it actually has some value to it. And that desire either could be redeemed by Jesus or met by Jesus. That desire that he's given you, right? Because it's something that you love, and maybe God actually has this desire as well. And would you let Jesus, or let him actually satisfy that desire from others who serve you in your little kingdom, and judging them as being out of bounds, and then moving towards punishment for us to be a reconciling church to be a peacemaking church to be a church that believes the kingdom of god spills over into our relationships we have to be more honest about our brokenness and at the same time more hopeful about what christ has accomplished for us believing transformation is real and could actually happen and we crash land at communion here just think about what jesus did think about what his desire was for a people and what he demanded was holiness And we couldn't meet that demand. And instead of punishing us, He put Himself on the cross and took our judgment so that you and I could be reconciled. So as we take communion every single week, what we're doing is rehearsing how reconciliation is actually made possible. So Christians, I would invite you to take communion. This little cup has a wafer in it and it has some juice in it representing the broken body and shed blood of Christ on your behalf. That's the way that you've been reconciled with Him. And it actually frees you to be reconciled to others. Right? First receive it, then ask for God in this moment to help you move towards other people. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to take communion this morning. There's some prayers in the back of that bulletin that we gave you as you walked in that would help you engage this time. But, but hear this, that God actually took the punishment you deserved on himself so you could be forgiven and free and you could actually move towards God and be reconciled to him. That's the invitation this morning. You don't need to take communion. I want you to take Jesus. So I'm going to be right up here at the front. If you want to talk about that during communion, you can just come and sit or after the service. I'll have a mask on. We can talk as long as you want. I'd love to share with you what Jesus did for you so you can be reconciled to him. And those of you who've already experienced that reconciliation, let's take communion now together. So let me pray for you. Roxanne's going to play. We'll take communion and then we will um, sing one more song. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thanks for your broken body and shed blood. Uh, Thanks for the habit of remembering the kind of God you are the kind of God that you showed us on the cross, that you explained to us in the Sermon on the Mount, that the Scriptures reveal this promise-keeping God who had a desire to show His glory and His grace to people. And we blew that. And you took the punishment upon yourself so we could be in relationship with God. We just say, thank you. Would you now fill the room with faith and hope to believe that's true for them and their situations where they live? Would you do healing work? Would you do reconciling work? Would you do correcting and repenting work? Would you do saving work? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, 
please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.